Joshua chapter 10 this morning. The longest day in history. The longest day ever. That's what we're going to learn about this morning. Pretty cool story. Um, true story from the life of Joshua and the children of Israel. And we're going we're gonna to pull some truths from this longest day in history about living a victorious life. Having victory over sin. Having victory in the Christian life. And when we talk about that, we're not just talking about a person that every once in a while has a victorious moment in their Christian life. We're talking about a victory after another victory after another victory. And it just piles on back to back. And now you can describe that life as victorious. You see, that's kind of what's happening in the children of Israel's life. And when I hear the word victory, several things flood through my mind. Uh, I think of times in sports when we had victories over other teams, maybe uh, come from behind victories, whatever it might be. I think of college football, where after every game, win or lose, we would sing victory in Jesus, talking about victory over sin and death. I also think of many of the numerous victories our, our, our armed forces have had in battle throughout history. Uh, we were able on the uh, trip to Cody, Wyoming to go to a museum, and we went to a gun part of the museum. They had over 800 guns, uh, something like that, and it was just wall-to-wall. It was really cool. But they had a section talking about all of the United States um, battles and, and wars and all the guns and the weaponry that they would use in that war. It was really cool. And uh, they had stories of people from those battles, and it was cool to see. But when I think of battles in our nation, um, I always go back to one of my favorite characters in history class learning about, which was George Washington. Now, obviously, he's known for several different things, right? First president of the United States, crossing the Delaware. But many times, we kind of forget about how many back-to-back victories George Washington had uh, during the Revolutionary War. And it's, it's amazing to think, uh, because one of the things that I, I found out about George Washington is that before the war started, he had never, really, never actually led an army into live battle before. Um, and yet he just kind of took off during this war. His fame became known around the nation uh, because of his leadership and his skill and his strategy. And if you look into the, the Revolutionary War a little bit, you would see victory after victory. And there's no way that in battle or in victories in sports or whatever it might be, you would be called victorious, back-to-back victories, if you weren't ready for the next battle. If you weren't prepared uh, to not be satisfied with that last victory, right? To not just end it there. You have to be prepared for even more of a struggle. Even uh, more of a team's best the next game. Whatever it might be. And so today, we are going to learn about victory. And so as we look at Joshua chapter 10, we kind of have to look at the history of Israel here to understand what's happening. And so God has promised uh, to Abraham in Genesis chapter 17 uh, that he would be the father of a great nation, right, if you remember that. Part of that promise, though, was land. Part of that covenant with Abraham was that God promised that nation that they would have a promised land. He uh, repeats that covenant with Abraham's son Isaac. Uh, in Genesis chapter 26, and then again to Isaac's son Jacob, and Genesis chapter 28, and then in Exodus, that covenant is explained a little bit more, and details about the land are coming out now, and you're learning about it, and the children of Israel are, are going through the wilderness, and finally, in Joshua, uh, the book of Joshua, we finally see Israel conquering and occupying that promised land. 
The nation of Israel had just gone through a change in leadership, right? Uh, Moses had been leading these people for years while Joshua sat underneath him. And it's interesting that God knew what leader Israel needed at what timing they needed it. I mean, Moses is said to be a very meek man, a man of mercy. Boy, did they need that through the wilderness. They need a man that would intercede on behalf of them before God with how much they turned their back on him. And then right before they go in to occupy and conquer the promised land, God sends the perfect leader again in Joshua, who had trained under Moses and who, as you read through the book of Joshua, was a man of strategy and a man of war and a man of godliness. Perfect timing for a leader in that aspect of life as well. And so they're just going through a leadership change. And we see the transition of leaders in Joshua chapter 1. But in Joshua chapter 1 through 5, it's all about preparing. It's all about the children of Israel preparing to go in, to cross the River Jordan, and to start occupying and conquering some of these cities that are involved in the Promised Land. In Joshua chapter 1, you see God preparing them. He gives a speech to Joshua. Joshua then conveys it to the people of Israel. And we know the all-common phrase, be strong and of good courage. Joshua says that a lot. They're preparing Joshua chapter 2, they're still preparing. Joshua sends spies, and they land up in the, the home of Rahab, if you remember the story. And they're spying on the land to see if this is the time, if this is good, this is what they should be doing. And then in Joshua 3 through 5, they cross the Jordan River, and if you remember the miracle of that, those um, carrying the Ark of the Covenant just stepped into the water, and again, you see the river splitting like you did the Red Sea, um, and there's another miracle there in, in uh, Joshua 3 through 5, and you see all the dedication with the stones in those chapters, and it's all preparing for Joshua chapter um, 6, when they start to conquer the Promised Land. Really, the conquest of the promised land was split into three sections in the book of Joshua. First, they take down uh, Jericho and Ai and Gibeon, and that's kind of, people say, is in one section, because the next two sections is they take over the southern kingdom and they take over the northern kingdom or the northern region. Um, And so that's how it's kind of split up in the book of Joshua. So in in chapter 5, verses 13 uh, through chapter 6, they take over Jericho. And we know the, the famous story about them marching around the walls And God doing a miraculous thing there with the walls of Jericho tumbling down. Then they take over Ai. That's a pretty cool story too. Joshua has an amazing strategy. He sends the men in at night to the opposite end of the city. And then half of the men will start to attack the city and draw their entire army out. While those that went overnight would come in and sweep the city as the army is distracted. And then in chapter 9 we see a little bit of a uh, a mix up with the children of Israel. They make a treaty with the city of Gibeon. Now they weren't supposed to do that. Uh, The the city of Gibeon knew how much God was on their side. They're seeing these miracles happen. And uh, they tricked the children of Israel into making a treaty. And so the bulk of our story here this morning in Joshua chapter 10, I want you to realize something. This shouldn't have even been Israel's fight. But because there's always danger in that. There's always more danger. There's always multiplied danger when you're foolish with where you put yourself and what you do with your life. And that's what's happening with the children of Israel. So that kind of leads us up to chapter 10. And what we're going to see here is through the children of Israel, R's of the victorious life and the letter R. We're going to see a bunch of words that start with the letter R that help the children of Israel have victory after victory after victory 
in the book of Joshua. So look at Joshua chapter 10 and look at verse 1. Now it came to pass when Anizadek, king of Jerusalem, had heard how Joshua had taken Ai and had utterly destroyed it as he had done to Jericho and her king, so he had done to Ai, and how the inhabitants of Gibeon had made peace with Israel and were among them, that they feared greatly because Gibeon was a great city as one of the royal cities, and because it was greater than Ai, and all the men thereof were mighty. Wherefore Adonizedek, king of Jerusalem, sent unto Hoam, king of Hebron, and unto Piram, king of Jarmuth, and unto Jephiah, king of Lachish, and unto Debir, king of Eglon, saying, Come up unto that we may smite Gibeon, for it hath made peace with Joshua and with the children of Israel. Therefore the five kings of the Amorites and the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, and the king of Jarmuth, and the king of Lachish, the king of Eglon, gathered themselves together and went up. They and all their hosts and encamped before Gibeon and made of our story. What I want you guys to realize is a readiness after victory. A readiness after victory. And we're going to see that even through verse 7 here in a second. The children of Israel were racking up victory after victory, but the opposition just became stronger, right? The opposition um, became stronger. They began to get people on their side. Look at what was taking place in the first five verses. We have a character introduced here in our true story. King Adonizedek. King Adonizedek himself. He was the king of Jerusalem, located um, in part of the promised land that they were going to conquer. And so word of Israel's victories were starting to spread throughout the land, right? Now, they didn't have Facebook back then, uh, or Twitter, or all these different things, but word was spreading rapidly. You see that in verse 1. And if they did have social media, it would probably be a viral video, right, of these nuts walking around the walls of Jericho for seven days, and then something amazing happening on the seventh day. And of this strong leader, Joshua, who is leading this army in a strategic way against Ai. And it gets to King Adonizedek. Joshua chose 30,000 of the city at night when the troops with him would attack the front and draw out Ai's army and then the, the troops that snuck out in the night would take over the city. They had just allied. No, Israel had made a foolish treaty with Gibeon. The other nations were seeing Gibeon as one of these at that city. All of their men were mighty. They had one of the mightiest armies. And so King Adonizedek and Jerusalem, they're starting to get a little scared. What are we going to do? And so King Adonizedek uh, comes up with a plan, a brilliant plan, in verses 3 through 5. Israel's becoming a force to be reckoned with. And so Adonizedek gets all of his all-stars, if you would, together. And they are going to take out the city of Gibeon. So if we take out Gibeon, they thought, we will weaken Joshua and the Israelites. All right? This is the biggest threat of Israel right now. So who were these all-stars that King Adonizedek gets together? Well, King Hoam from Hebron, King Piram from Jarmuth, King Japhiah from Lachish, and King Debir from Eglon. All of these men, they're going to come with their armies, they're going to make an alliance with King Adonizedek, and they are going to take over this strong city. They were going to outnumber and outpower this overrated Gibeon army. Have you ever noticed in sports that the more a team wins, the bigger target they have on their back, right? And especially if, they start, if you start adding years and years of winning. Uh, when you think of that, you have to think of teams, and I'm not putting my stamp of approval on these teams, but you have to think of teams like 
uh, Alabama football. You have to think of teams, unfortunately, like the New England Patriots, right? You have to think of teams like in basketball, the recent years, the Golden State Warriors. And win after win and victory after victory, it didn't cause other teams to be like, oh, well, we'll just surrender, right? You can have the victory this time. No, every time that they are played during the football season, uh, basketball season, whatever it might be, they get every team's best, right? I mean, they are strategizing. That game is marked on the calendar. We have a chance to take down the champs. We have a chance to take down this overrated, victorious team. And they get the best from all the opposing teams day in and day out. Now, growing up, I played a lot of sports and didn't have the opportunity to be on one of those amazing teams. Um, But I experienced it a little bit um, when I was growing up in junior high and high school. The city of Ottawa would put together an all-star team for baseball each summer. And I I had the privilege of being a part of that for several summers. And for three summers in a row, we won state. And Ottawa was the team to beat in Kansas. Now, I know we're a small town, uh, but we were just pulling it together. You would go through districts first, which were just small towns around you. Then you'd go to state, which were the whole state of Kansas. Then you'd go to regionals, so we'd play Missouri in that and different things like that. And so for three years in a row, we won state. And uh, it was a really cool thing. I remember getting T-shirts that said three-peat on it with states and everything. And uh, I remember the fourth year that I played with the Ottawa All-Star team. We probably had the best team that we have ever had in the All-Stars. I mean, we had talent at every position, and we really thought the year before we had made it really far in regionals, and we really thought we could get past regionals, maybe even to the Little League World Series. And uh, we really thought we had the talent. Well, we get to districts, which if you remember is the first stage, was just the small towns around you. And West Franklin came to Ottawa. And West Franklin was a tiny town of Pomona, and uh, we had just wiped them every year. And it was like over a year they had grew like 30 boys that were just huge and could play baseball. And I remember we had all these hype. We didn't really get prepared. We thought we were through districts, and we were just already thinking about state. But first game, this West Franklin team beat us like 12-2 to in baseball. And we were pretty besides ourselves. But the fact of the matter is we had one year after year in districts and we weren't ready for year four. That's not the case here with Israel, but victory after victory after victory, if you haven't noticed in sports or even in other areas of life, the opposing team or the the opposition seems to strategize more and try a lot harder. That's what's happening with Israel here. They're, They're starting to get victory after victory after victory and they aren't satisfied, right? They're not just saying, oh, we've, we have conquered enough land now. And uh, since God is on our side and he's doing all these miracles, we don't even have to be ready, right? We don't have to be prepared. Um, no, this is a huge army they're about to go up against. Have you ever noticed that after spiritual victories, many times we are tempted the hardest? Maybe you've had victory over a sin that you've struggled with for a while or finally started to be consistent in your devotions or had success at serving others or you finally got back into church consistently. You finally stopped an addiction or maybe, teenager, you're coming off of a summer of a week of camp of making commitments and seeing God work at a missions trip. Have you ever noticed that after spiritual victories in our life, sometimes we're tempted the hardest? Why is that? 1 Peter 5.8 says this, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion 
walketh about seeking who he may devour. Ephesians 6, 11 through 12 is all talking about being ready. Being ready for what? The wiles, the strategies of the devil, the principalities and powers. We're not warring against physical people. This is a spiritual battle. And so if I can make a comparison between King Adonizedek and the devil, the more you grow and have victory in your Christian life, the harder Satan will try to defeat you. That's what's happening with the children of Israel here. All right, the more they're having victory, King Adonizedek is, is all of these oppositions are just go, getting harder. And with victory, there has to be readiness or victory will never come back to back. That's why our first point is readiness after victory. Hey, in your Christian life, if you want to live a victorious Christian life, back to back to back victories, there has to be a readiness after victory. There has to be a readiness for the next temptation. There has to be a readiness for the next thing that the devil tries to throw at you to get you off your Christian life, get you off of serving Christ. The children of Israel are coming off some amazing victories, and we're still ready. Look at verses 6 through 7. And the men of Gibeon sent unto Joshua to the camp of Gilgal, saying, Slack not thy hand from thy servants, come up to us quickly, and save us and help us, for all the kings of the Amorites that dwell in the mountains are gathered together against us. So Joshua ascended from Gilgal, he and all the people of war with him, and all the mighty men of valor. I would say they were pretty ready. Now again, remember, this isn't their fight. They foolishly made an alliance with a city that's in war right now. And we're going to talk about that here in a second. But they were ready. They were ready to see God work again. They were ready for another victory. And I think that is safe to say that they had a readiness after previous victories. Number two, readiness equals reliance. Readiness in the Christian life, all it is is reliance. That's what happens to the children of Israel here. Look at verse 8. And the Lord said unto Joshua, Fear them not, for I have delivered them into thine hands. There shall not a man of them stand before thee. Joshua therefore came unto them suddenly and went up from Gilgal all night. And the Lord discomfited them before Israel and slew them with a great slaughter at Gibeon and chased them along the way that goeth up to Betharon and smote them to Azekah and unto Mekedah. Does Joshua's amazing strategy give Israel victory here? Does Gibeon's mighty men of war give Israel the victory here? No. The children of Israel were ready for the oppositions after their previous victories, not because of their own preparation or skill, but because they remained close and relied on God. That's what a readiness is. It's a reliance. In verse 8, God speaks to Joshua. Now this is not because of the foolish hesitation on Joshua's part, The children of Israel were were tricked into making a treaty with Gibeon. This wasn't even supposed to be Israel's fight. But put yourself in a foolish situation and dangers will always increase. Hey, put yourself close to worldliness. Watch things with sex or nudity. Listen to things that are all about the world and against God. You're putting yourself with increased danger around you. And if you make an excuse that you're not the one committing the sin, you're foolishly putting yourself next to a lot of danger. That's what Israel is doing here. To keep yourself as far away from sin as possible, that's what's wise. I hope you have a wise guardrail as a family or as an individual. 
that you're not putting yourself in foolish situations where increased danger of temptation and sin can happen. See, this isn't even Israel's fight. But they foolishly made a treaty, and now they're going up against a five-city army that they're outnumbered and outmanned and outpowered. But God forgives. That's the great part of this story. And he's about to give another amazing victory. Readiness equals reliance. God forgives Israel and tells Joshua in verse 8. That's why I think uh, God prompted Joshua to go because um, there probably was a hesitation. This is Gibeon. This is who we just failed with. Now watch what Joshua does in verses 9 through 10 that we just read. He runs to the children of Israel and says, Hey guys, I have another brilliant strategy. We're going to take out this uh, combined army. Hey guys, look at all these men of Gibeon and look at our guys that have had rest after the last victory. We've been eating the spoils from these previous victories and we are ready. We are energized. I mean, look at the excitement on these warriors' faces. Look at the strategy they have now. We have the victory. Is that what he did? No. There's a reliance here. Joshua goes to the children of Israel and he says, hey, don't forget. Don't forget about the walls of Jericho. Don't forget about Ai. Don't forget about crossing the Jordan River. God's on our side again. He's going to give us the victory. So he runs to the children of Israel and he tells them that. And eventually, in our life, we will run out of our own strength and our own talent. Hear me out today. It's it's why we fail to live a victorious life as Christians all the time. Your will, your effort, your strength, while they may be great, are too weak to live victoriously back to back to back, day after day. They may last you a long time, but eventually it will run out and not last. Hey, if you're trying to be victorious over sin, if you're trying to see yourself make some great strides for Christ and not look back in your Christian life, To stay consistent in the Christian life on your own strength, you will fail. But that's not what Joshua or the children of Israel do here. They had confidence and were ready to be for more victory because of their reliance on God. Have you ever had to rely on someone? We do it all the time, right? We rely on someone else. Have you ever had to rely on someone for your life? If you jump in the car and someone else is behind the steering wheel, you're relying on them a little bit, right? to get you safely to your destination. I remember in the sport of football, playing it in college, the sport of football, you have to rely on your teammates. And uh, my last year, I decided to change position. I was going to become a running back. And now back then, I was a lot smaller. um, And I was, uh, after preseason, I could not get my weight above 175. And so I was a scrawny running back for college football. Uh, But I love to play. And so when you're a running back, you have to rely on that front line. And uh, I could tell you time after time, I could not rely on my front line. All right, we were a small Christian school, and uh, our linemen would get injured all the time. We'd have subs in there. But I remember one time, uh, in the middle of a game, it was a close game, like one touchdown lead. Coach told me to go in, uh, and I was going to get a running back. I was the backup running back that would get like two yards, right? We had this guy that was just phenomenal. He would hurdle people. And I I really enjoyed playing with him, but I was the guy on like third down, get us two yards, just put your head down, uh, get us two yards. And so that's what I did. Uh, And so he threw me in on a third down play. I remember, again, I was like, well, I'm going to get tackled by people, but all I need to do is get two yards here. Just give me a burst of energy. I remember a lineman turning back to me right before the play, and he's like, I got you. I got this block. You're going to break this one out. 
I kind of thought to myself, yeah, sure, all right. Uh, this has been happening all day. This hasn't happened this season where you've, you've had me where I could rely on you. The play started, and he did. He cleared out that middle, and I had the longest run of my career, 12 yards, all right. Uh, not amazing, but I was pretty happy. Longest run. I mean, I was in there just to get a couple yards. I had a 12-yard run, and, man, I relied, I relied on him. He pushed that guy out of the way. My lane was, was wide open. You see, that's what reliance is. And unfortunately, reliance is the hardest thing to do in life. Because each one of us have some self-centeredness. Each one of us like to rely on our own strengths, our own talents. And so we can say point number two is readiness equals reliance, but that's a lot harder to live out than to say this morning. And I'm talking to myself as well. In the Christian life, the only way I am going to see victory is through God, the Holy Spirit, and His written Word. That's what I should be relying on day after day. If God's going to look at my life and see someone that's a victorious Christian day after day, He's got to see someone that's relying on Him day after day. That's spending time with Him day after day. So now we get to my favorite part of the story. They relied on God and look what God does in verses 10 through 11. And the Lord discomfited them before Israel and slew them with a great slaughter at Gibeon and chased them along the way that goeth up to Betharon and smote them to Azekah and unto Mecca. And it came to pass as they fled from before Israel and were in the going down to Betharon that the Lord cast down great stones from heaven upon them unto Azekah. And they died. They were more which died with hailstones than they whom the children of Israel slew with the sword. That first phrase there in verse 10, and the Lord discomfited them. What does discomfited mean? It simply means this, God terrified them or horrified them about these other armies. They saw Israel coming to aid Gibeon and they trembled. They started to retreat. They knew in their heart that this was their last day on earth. That's what that word means. They were scared. They started to retreat. So these armies start to flee and retreat, and Israel is chasing after them. And this is my favorite part of the story. God sends a hailstorm like history has never seen before. Look how the hailstones are described in verse 11. Great stones. These things were huge. I mean, this is like something you would see in a movie. These were big enough to kill people with armor on and a helmet on. How many of you have ever been in a hailstorm before? Or seen it? You've seen hail outside the window. There's no rhyme or reason where that hail falls, right? This is why I love this story. God is playing dodgeball with, with these other nations, all right? These hailstorms are just taking guys out one by one. Not a single is hit. This isn't a random hailstorm that's just taking out people. I mean, these, these nations are fleeing. God sees a moving target, and he's just hitting them hailstone after hailstone And it says that the number that God did in this miracle that died was greater than all the men of Israel slew. I mean, this is a really cool part to the story. You can see a reliance on God. Readiness is a reliance not on our own strengths or strategies or talents, but a reliance on the one who holds all the power in the world. A reliance on the only one that can help us have victory day in and day out. That's what the children of Israel do, and they get to see God do a miracle. Hey, there's no better being to rely on 
and to give your life to. This same God that we're reading about this morning is our God today. And to live victoriously, walk with Him, and rely on Him daily. That's how we can have a victorious Christian life. Let's continue. Readiness equals reliance, but reliance is shown through prayer. Reliance is shown through prayer. Look at verse 12. Then spake Joshua to the Lord in the day when the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the children of Israel. And he said in the sight of Israel, Son, stand thou still upon Gibeon, and thou moon in the valley of Ajalon. Reliance is shown through our actions. Hey, you can know uh, how you can see if you actually are relying on God. And that's by your actions. Hey, your actions are going to show if you're relying on God or yourself, your own strength, and your own talents. So look at your actions. Your actions will always show you if you rely and serve on God daily. Joshua's actions prove his reliance on God here. God said he would give victory, and Joshua takes off into battle with the children of Israel. And in the middle of the battle, Joshua sees a problem. And he doesn't immediately begin to strategize. He immediately goes to God. So what's the problem here that Joshua sees? These opposing armies are fleeing, and the children of Israel are seeing this amazing miracle of hailstones. But there's a problem, because Joshua looks up, and he sees that there's not much daylight left. And there's still people to conquer, and they're fleeing. And as soon as nighttime gets here, they are going to have a head start. They are going to escape all of these Israelites and the people of Gibeon trailing them. And so he takes prayer as the next step. And he says, God, make the sun stay and the moon stay. Kind of an odd request. Keep them where they are in the sky currently until we can have complete victory. That's what Joshua prays for. Strange request, but let's learn a lesson on reliance today. Your actions show who you rely on throughout the day. Hey, is God who you run to in prayer all the time? Are your own reasonings or other people's reasonings and and strategies what you rely on? And I'm preaching to myself this morning as well. Are you reading what God has said for us in his word? How can we say that we rely on God day after day and never open the book that he has written to us and never run to him in prayer unless it's our last resort? You see, I think that Joshua was so close to God that his natural response was to pray when he saw something. That's what I want to be in my life. Man, I want to be so close to God and relying on God on a day-in and day-out basis that my initial response, not my last response, is to say, God's got it covered. I can take it to God. That's what Joshua's life is all about. 911. It's the system that is set up so that when there's an emergency... You can immediately be put through to a dispatcher to hear what the emergency is and the details. Also listening will be the police, fire department, and paramedics. And even if you are so emotional and can't get the emergency out, they even know where you are calling from. Our lives are too full of 911 prayers. They have their place, and God wants to help in emergencies. But prayer should be our first resort, and that only happens when it's our regular resort. That only happens when it's a daily thing. 
You see, in Joshua's life, if you look through the first five verses of uh, chapters of preparation, he is preparing, he is talking with his God. Now there's an emergency. And again, his natural response is to pray. You see, your actions show who you're relying on. Hey, if you're relying on yourself, if you are serving self, your actions throughout the day are going to show that. If your reliance and service is to God on a daily basis, your actions are going to back that up as well. There's going to be time in God's Word. There's going to be prayer. There's going to be meditation on Him. You see, reliance is shown through prayer and through our actions. And then my last point this morning, when the person praying is right, God shows Himself radical. That's what we see in verses 13 through 14. Look at it. And the sun stood still, and the moon stayed until the people had avenged themselves upon their enemies. Is not this written in the book of Jasher? So the sun stood still in the midst of heaven, and hasted not to go down about a whole day. And there was no day like that, before it or after it, that the Lord hearkened unto the voice of a man, for the Lord fought for Israel. Hey, Joshua is right with God. Joshua lived out what later would be penned in the New Testament, James 5.16, the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. God loves to reward faithfulness. Hebrews 11.6 says that, but without faith it's impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. You could say that regularly seek him. If you looked at the first several chapters in Joshua, you would find a man that diligently sought his God. Hey, when the person praying is right, God shows himself radical. I wonder if we have any Joshua's here today. That God is freely rewarding and answering prayers because your life is right before him. We think that we can serve self and spit in the face of God, and then when an emergency takes place, we can run to him and he's going to help us out. If you want a recipe for answered prayer, it's simply this. Righteous living. Because when the person praying is right before God, God shows himself radical. So what do I mean that God shows himself radical? Radical seems like a weird word to use, but it simply means this far-reaching. When the person praying is right before God, God shows himself far-reaching. Look what he does in history here with Joshua. He caused the sun and the moon to stay in the same place in the sky for another day so that Israel could finish chasing after them. That's why the title is The Longest Day in History. God caused the sun in a miraculous way that science can't explain, to stay there an entire day more so that Israel could finish conquering this other nation. There are different views out there that perhaps God halted the spin and rotation of the, of the globe, of the world, the earth, so that the sun stayed put. I didn't look too much into that. I know Answers in Genesis has some scientific say that says there's a missing day in history. I didn't look too much into the science because God says it, it's a miracle, and I believe it happens. 
when the person that is relying on God is right with God and praying to God. God shows himself radical. Guys, this is, this is a miraculous story. Israel, throughout the book of Joshua, we talk down on the Israelites a lot, and rightly so. We've got them traveling through the wilderness. We've got right after Joshua, the book of Judges. But let's give credit where credit due is here. They are experiencing victory after victory. They're experiencing God taking down the walls of Jericho. God splitting the Jordan River. God sending a hailstorm to defeat the biggest army that they had faced so far. God halting the sun in the sky to give them light to chase after an army. This is a really cool time in the children of Israel's life. But I want to remind you, when you see stories like this in the Bible, the hero of this story isn't Joshua. It isn't the children of Israel. It's God. So let's draw some conclusions from this story. I think that each one of us this morning would say, I desire to live a victorious life. I mean, I'm sick of falling into the same sin over and over again. I'm sick of making a commitment during the summer camp or during one point in my life that says, man, I'm going to stop this addiction or I'm going to do this for God or I'm going to start being in church and then just failing at it the next day. Hey, to live a victorious life day after day after day, there has to be a readiness. You have to be ready after victories for the next big temptation. Because when you start piling on victories, Satan's going to start trying harder. Hey, readiness just means reliance. The best way you can be ready today, Sunday, to have victory in your life, the best way tomorrow to have victory in your life, is a reliance. Time spent with your God. Your reliance is going to be shown through your actions today. Your reliance is going to be shown through your actions tomorrow. Hey, are we going to incorporate this recipe to have a victorious Christian life? Reliance on God. It's going to show through your actions. How's your prayer life? If your prayer life is few and far between and just the last resort in emergencies, I don't think that shows a full reliance on God. When it starts to become our natural response, then you can say, wow, that person, they rely on God. Not on their own strengths, not on other people's wisdom or whatever it might be. They rely on God. And I want to encourage you guys this morning and say this, that when you're living right before God and you're relying on Him, He's going to show Himself far-reaching in your life. You're going to have prayers that He's going to start to answer that are, more, that are answered more in abundance than you even prayed for. God rewards faithfulness. God rewards the Christian who is right before him. That's when we get to see God work. That's when we get to see God do some amazing things. And I wonder this morning, how many acts of God that we miss out on because we're relying too much on ourselves. Because we're serving self too much. I think we serve the same God here in this chapter. I think he's still capable of doing amazing things like he did in this chapter. But I think his people are limited at seeing him work. Because we're just relying on self so much. I think it's a good picture here of a victorious Christian life. From the longest day in history, and yes, it actually was the longest day in history 
for an entire another 24 hours. The R's of the victorious Christian life. Being ready, which means relying, and being right so that God can show himself radical. So how is God working in your life this morning? How many of you with me this morning would say, man, I want to commit to seeing God work through my life, God working in this situation that's happening, in this situation. How about you commit with me this morning to be ready after victories by relying on God day after day? Let's pray.